0: What if you could complete your MBA in just one year? Thanks to the College of Charleston School of Business, now you can. Their accelerated MBA program condenses a traditional two-year program into one rigorous year, ensuring you not only save a year of tuition and fees, but also re-enter the workforce quickly and graduate with critical business knowledge. U.S. News & World Report recognized the College of Charleston MBA as number one in the country for its job placement rate within three months of graduation. Learn more at mba.cfc.edu. Good morning and welcome to Beyond the Business brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business. The College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. Each Saturday morning at 9, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the Lowcountry talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life. Now your hosts of Beyond the Business, Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood.
2: And great Saturday morning, Lowcountry. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Business presented by the College of Charleston School of Business and heard here on 94.3 wsc or you may be checking us out via podcast on itunes spotify or wherever else the heck you may be checking us out right leslie
1: right exactly anywhere you can find us
2: great saturday morning low country i'm eric cox here with the lovely and talented leslie haywood welcome to february
1: oh my goodness i don't even know what day it is
2: (laughs) we're 112th of the way through the year we're heading into february and Leslie, I don't know about you, for some reason, I'm just pumped and excited today. we got a great guest coming up. We had an awesome guest over the last couple of weeks. Um, it's just a good time to be a host on Beyond the Business, quite frankly.
1: It is, it is. We're having a great time, always a, such amazing guests. I, I I can't believe people keep coming back after the first one, though. You know, you with those hard questions, making people cry.
2: Well, we've had the pleasure of actually interviewing great leaders and entrepreneurs from not just around the low country, but now, technically, from around the world. And um, seven years running, and we're just so fortunate to get to have the opportunity to deliver this amazing content to our listeners weekend and week out. And uh, as always, last week, we had another great guest, and Mr. Jim Scallow He's the president and CEO of Burns Scallow Real Estate. It's a commercial real estate group out of western Pennsylvania. Uh, they're development brokerage and, and mortgages. And, uh, you know, Jim... I thought he just was incredibly in-depth in in terms of his philosophy of life, and um, I don't know for you, Leslie, what your big takeaway, but it it was pretty meaty, in my opinion.
1: It was. There were so many aspects of his life that he touched on, from business to personal to parenting to COVID, and I don't know, what stood out was... um, His approach to the word corporate culture. Um, He said that, you know, the coffees and having the gym membership and the donuts and the treats were all perks of the business, but not necessarily the culture of the business. And he said to uh, maintain your particular culture, you had to feed it daily. Kind of like a campfire, you have to be continuously adding another log and you have to lead by example and make continuous efforts to foster that culture that you've tried to create. So I thought his take on that was really interesting. Then, of course, everything. I mean, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that. That was an amazing interview. Um, Even parenting advice he was doling out.
2: And, and he talked about the book that he wrote, Work Them to Life, mm-hmm. which uh, really was great about educating organizations on how to win the talent war. And uh, obviously, he pours a tremendous amount of energy and, and support and love into uh, his, as you said, his uh, culture. And uh, what a great show. Again, if you missed that one, don't fret. Go check it out on iTunes, or you can go to Spotify. You can also go to our website at WM. Dot com and simply click on that radio icon to hear uh, Jim's show or any of our shows from the past seven years. For that fact, uh, matter of fact, we're going to switch from one Jim to the next Jim. It sounds I like. know, so, right? How about that? We're in the we're in the Jim era, and today we have Mr. Jim Garrett on the line with us. He's the market president of Colliers here in Charleston. Jim, good morning to you, and welcome to
3: Beyond the Business. Good morning to both of you, and thank you, uh, Eric. You started off and said you had a great guest today. I was just wondering how long we take so you could get him on and <laughs> me off. So just give me the heads up when the when Not the great guest all, is going to arrive. We,
2: we've heard great things about you. We're excited to have you today. I hope Leslie doesn't you know run you off and you don't come back <laughs> next week because she can be really tough and challenging. Uh, but Jim, do us a favor. You know, uh, give us a quick
3: kind of 20 second commercial on um, call yours Charleston, if you don't mind. Call yours Charleston. That's a great question. And we are a commercial real estate uh, service provider uh, that services, the, you know, the office retail industrial investment marketplaces, the capital markets. Uh, we have um, we do about 16 million square feet of property management uh, for colliers in the state, uh, which makes us the largest property management uh, group in the state of South Carolina. And we also have a little subsidiary called LCK, it's a project management firm that currently Currently is working on someplace in the neighborhood of about 550 million dollars worth of projects around the state. So, um, uh, nice little, nice little side gig for us. Little
1: little side gig. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, before we go into all of that, and I look forward to hearing about that, we're going to take it back a little bit. Um, as you know, this is called Beyond the Business, People You Know, Stories You Don't. So, we like to get to know um, what made Jim Jim. So, give us a, a little background on where you were born, your family, um, how, brothers and sisters.
3: Uh, I was born in Tacoma, Washington uh, six weeks before my father was discharged from the military. And uh, my family is from Columbus, Ohio. So I like to tell folks that I've been to uh, uh, Idaho, Montana, and various other states. I was six weeks old when I was there because we drove back. but. uh, I have two younger brothers um, and uh, grew up in Ohio up until about three years ago. Figured I would pretty much retire and die in Ohio. So, um, but uh, now I'm in Charleston and loving every minute of it.
2: So give our audience a little sense. As a youngster, Jim, what, was, what were you like?
3: I was a handful um, I think that, um, in many ways I was probably undiagnosed with, with, with ADD. Um, uh, you know, that was not a thing then. They just said, uh, you know, send him outside and let him go play baseball or basketball and run around the block and, and, uh, uh get some of that energy out. Um, I also suffered, uh, from some slight dyslexia. Which um, made, made things interesting for me. Um, so, um, and as the firstborn, I think you know, in, in the birth order, firstborns happen to be um, kind of rule followers. Mm-hmm. But because of the ADHD or the ADD and the dyslexia, I tried to kind of um, modify the rules to fit what I wanted my outcome to be so uh, loved sports love the outdoors uh, was constantly going um, and um, um, you know it was um, it was an interesting childhood growing up and we grew up um, in a little town between Dayton Ohio and Springfield Ohio um, in the 60s um, it, Dayton uh, at the time was a was a town that had a lot of 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 um union-based jobs so high higher paying jobs than some other areas and so we had a huge influx of folks from um uh, central and eastern kentucky into the area and right. and um it, it really formed a lot of what our neighborhood looked like and um it was interesting well, and jim you got to
2: watch those folks from eastern kentucky i gotta tell you there's something <laughs> yeah. else so um, i grew up in ashland kentucky by there the way, you so go awesome i know i know that space yeah You like that, Leslie, huh?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, got to get that in there. So at this point, what were your parents doing?
3: My father was um, an engineer, electrical engineer um, for NCR, uh, National Cash Register. My mother was a stay-at-home mom uh, until my youngest brother went off to school and then she found a part-time job. Um, They were... um, they were very involved in our lives, uh, which I'm extremely thankful for. You know, we didn't we didn't necessarily uh, grow up with um, um, with a lot of money. I joke that that I had a winter coat. I had a coat. It wasn't necessarily a winter coat. I had to wear it at winter. It was good for three seasons. It just was not good for uh, ten degrees in in uh, in Ohio during the winter time. And um, right before my father passed away, I was having a a nice little moment with my middle brother. And I said, you know, I I don't know that I necessarily remember going to bed hungry. He says, oh, I did. He says, I certainly did. Um, and so, uh, which was, which was interesting to me, maybe that's because I was older and bigger and I got, I got to go first. You when got to eat, right. <laughs> I got to eat first. Um, uh, you know, we did, uh, we, we did go to bed cold, uh, but we wore toboggans and, you know, threw the blankets and stuff on the bed, but, uh, that's, um, that's just, we didn 't know anybody here, either, so that was just that's just the way life was and and as a kid, Jim, did you have aspirations that when you grew up you wanted to be i knew that that um i don't want to say we were poor, um, but I knew that we didn't have a lot of money, and I knew that i didn't want to live like that as an adult okay. uh, so I had aspirations to do something that um would allow me to have a winter coat and not necessarily be hungry and to afford my family the ability to travel and do different things. Discovered real estate completely by accident. And uh, I joke after 35 years of doing it, it's probably the only thing in my life I can do. Um, but uh, it, it, it afforded me those those types of things. So I, I knew that I didn't want to uh, spend the rest of my life hand to fist or hand so to what? mouth
1: in in high school did you get a did you have a job in high school and what happened after high
3: school I was mowing grasses from the age of about 10
1: so entrepreneurial spirit right then
3: well, no. That's because my parents said you will go mow grass. <laughs> if you want stuff, you have to do that, uh, because they didn't they didn't have money to uh, to give for me to to go up the street to the Dairy Queen, right? If I if I wanted those types of things, I had to earn that on my own. And um, I was fortunate that um, uh, my baseball coach, who um, You know, and looking back was probably one of those people that you referenced that that impacted my life. He was from central Kentucky, and he bought a a farm down there and had some cows on it. And as soon as baseball season was over, he loaded up all the boys that he could find uh, for the next six, eight, 10, 12 weeks until it starts snowing. And he'd throw them in the back of the pickup truck, and we'd go down I-75 to this farm in central Kentucky. And this, no kidding, we had 12-year-olds standing up at 70 miles an hour in the back of these pickup trucks going down the interstate. Um, so one day, I was probably very early teens, I decided that I wanted to go into the cattle business. So I bought a cow. He had cows. I bought a cow, and I had to go down there every week to to work to pay this thing off. How much so did I you bailed. pay for the cow? I don't know. It was probably $40. <laughs> but, you know, $40 to me was was like a million at that time. Uh, you know, this is probably 1973, 74, 70, very early 70s. And um, so I cut and hung tobacco, and I baled hay. and. Um, did whatever I was required to do to pay this thing off. And luckily um, it had a calf and, you know, one thing led to another. And um, so that was, that was one thing. And, but I was always working. I always had to work and yes, did I have a job in high school? I probably had three Um, because I had to pay my own insurance, my own gas. There was no free rides.
2: And so in college, I know you attended both Franklin University and Wright State. Um, what was the premise for for uh, education there? Were you going specifically for real estate or that twist and turn happened along the way?
3: The the twist and turn happened actually later. Um, I, I actually thought I wanted to be a high school history teacher. Uh, in fact, um, if this gig doesn't work out, that's what I think I want to do is be a high school history teacher and a basketball coach uh, that had kind of been the gig. And, and, um, uh, I joked that, that, um, at Wright State, they, they, they liked me a lot, but asked me at some point in time not to come back. Uh, so I said, okay, that's fine. And, um, during my summers, I would work for an uncle in, um, in Columbus, another, uh, gentleman that, um, helped shape the direction of my life. He owned a, um, a premier pool swimming pool company and they did construction uh, on the site and they actually owned some real estate um and so i'm kind of jumping all around here i apologize for that about 1983 we had some friends who lived in texas and texas was on fire in the very early 80s and so i quit school and decided i was going to move to san antonio texas to stay with friends and find a job and the problem was i didn't have any money so my uncle said come back and work for us and until you get some money and, and by working with him, I kind of stumbled into the real estate piece and, and discovered that, um, I, I apparently had a knack for it cause I'm still here. <laughs> so, um, anyways.
1: And how old were you when all of this started happening?
3: So I was probably, so 80, say 83, I would have been 23. So
1: 23.
3: 20th, yeah. 23. Um, yeah. Is that right. Yeah, it sounds about right. 22, and so um, one day a tenant called into the office, and they were complaining about the parking lot. And he said, well, pull out the lease, college boy, and look at it." And I didn't know lessor from lessee. I didn't. I didn't even. I was so, so naive. I called our attorney to ask some questions. I didn't realize attorneys charged you by the minute. <laughs> you know, they get this. They get this bill. I was like, "What the hell? Oh, I didn't know." But the one thing I discovered uh, in there, and uh, you know, think about this: nineteen eighty-three and nineteen seventy-nine. You know, we had mortgages at twenty and twenty-two percent interest rates. So um, I was looking at um, some of the the mortgages that they had on a couple of their centers, and they were 17 percent. Well, by this time, they'd finally dropped down to about twelve. And I jumped on our trusty IBM XT computer, which had a uh, 10 megabyte hard drive and a 640 uh, KB uh, floppy drive. And I ran some um, some uh, mortgage um, um, analytics. You know, tried to figure out if we refinanced, what would happen, et cetera. And and I went to him and said, "Guys, look, you know, if you refinance the center." From 16 to, to 12, you know, cash flow is going to increase by two or three thousand dollars a month. They said that's a brilliant idea. Let's talk to the, the bankers. We got the bankers on the line. Well, by that time, also the the real estate had really started to appreciate in value. Um, so we went to the went to the bank <clears throat> instead of refinancing at the current um, debt level. Uh, because there was so much equity, they refinanced at a higher debt level and took about $350,000 tax-free out of this investment. And that's where it really got me hooked. It's like, how do I get some of this love? So, um, we continued to do some of that. And, and so, I stuck around and stayed in Columbus. I was going to say.
1: Did, oh, yeah. did you get a bonus? I mean, all of this was a catalyst. I mean, you were the catalyst to give to get them $300,000 in that day and time. I mean, it's a lot of money now.
3: I, I got a little bit of a bonus, but as, as my uncle would like to tell me, I got a great education. So um, then I went back to, to Franklin, focused on, on um, real estate uh, at that point in time. Um, as I will tell people, I have a college education. I don't have a college degree. So, um, but um, um, and I, I've never hopefully let school get in the way of that education. It's been kind of my philosophy too.
2: And uh, so I know, uh, based on your background, that was. It uh, sounds like your first kind of real real estate opportunities with NAI Global. Uh,
3: actually, it was with Nationwide Insurance. I I went into. Okay. I, I left. I left my uncle. We developed some stuff. Realized that. I had this passion for real estate. Uh, they were entering their 50s, and I uh, had a really nice um, thing going on that they didn't want to uh, be as 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 exposed to risk as I would be at the age of 23, 24. Right. So um, I went into to brokerage uh, for a bit. Realized I probably was not quite suited for that aspect. But I loved the business so well. I was fortunate enough, one of the the, the the best things that ever happened to me is I got on at Nationwide Insurance and I did um, real estate for them. So, I went out and 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 found sales claims and underwriting uh, locations around the country and probably did someplace in the neighborhood of 350 or 400 transactions while I was there. And the, the, the greatest thing is because we were such a small unit inside this big company, they had all these training opportunities um, and management leadership uh, training things that, that I was exposed to that had I stayed in just traditional brokerage, I would have never seen
1: Now, Um, I'm curious, you said that, you know, brokerage, you knew that you weren't suited for it. So, to to any of our listeners out there, what was it that was, what were the red flags? What were the things that you saw that, this is not the path for me? What were some of the things that were going on that made you think that?
3: Well, I entered brokerage, the, the very first day I entered brokerage was basically January 1st, 1987. And what happened on January 1st, 1987, is tax reform of 1986 took place. And what that did was change how um, real estate losses were treated uh, for individuals. So, you know, you had... Very wealthy people investing in these these real estate um, um, portfolios that were never truly slated in their first five or ten years to make any money. They were scheduled to kick off paper losses, so you could have these huge deductions. Well, on January first, nineteen eighty-seven, because of that huge change, commercial real estate in the entire country probably lost someplace between twenty to thirty percent of its value overnight. Um so lots of people struggled with with what they were going to do buildings went dark uh the RTC then came in and and took things over that's when um you know Texas primarily had a really unique set of of, of banking regulations in which um they had a bunch of uh, savings and loans well 80 or 90% of their SNLs went out of business in, in 12 to 18 months. So there's was a multitude of things going on. And I just remember working... For an extended period of time with some physicians who wanted to do their own building and and start their own practice, et cetera. And then we had the Gulf, uh, their first Gulf War. And um after months and months and months, uh, they said, Hmm, we don't want to do this anymore. We're really concerned what's gonna happen. Uh, because there's, you know, Vietnam still lingers in the back of, of people's minds. And I started laughing. Is it um okay, I I get your concern, but help me understand how the Gulf War impacts people's health and fitness in central Ohio, right? People are still getting sick, aren't they? Um, But um, that's when it just, you know, I decided that I would prefer to have a paycheck every other Friday um, Mm. and was prepared to sacrifice the significant upside to mitigate some of my risk on that, so that was those. There was a bunch of little red flags there, but uh, I loved the business so much I didn't want to get out of it. I just didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to be exposed to that extent. And
2: so, Jim, when you when you kind of look back over your career, you know you've moved through multiple levels and layers uh, in in the industry, and obviously, Dave, you've worked yourself into this market president role. Um, but when you look back and, and and think about hitting these different marks, um, do you do you believe on the front end of that you 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 saw the vision of I'm going to work my way up to this moment, or those things just sort of came organically as you continued to have success?
3: You know, I wish I could tell you that I was smart enough that I had this master plan, but I didn't. Um, and and I think that you know I love the adage that God takes care of drunks and fools because at times I feel like I'm both. And and it's and it's been organic. I, I've just been really lucky um, that I, I think my work ethic that is that was instilled first with my parents and my uncle and so many others. Um, has, has uh, significantly helped. You know, I'm a <clears throat> I grew up loving Ohio State football, which meant, you know, to any Clemson grabs, um, <laughs> Woody Hayes, and we all remember what happened there. But Woody had an adage that he, he didn't feel he was ever the smartest coach on the field. But although he wasn't going to be the smartest, no one was going to outwork him. And I'm rarely the smartest guy in the room, but I don't know that anybody's going to outwork me. If they win, it's not because I was lazy. Um, so uh, I, I'm just, I, Eric, I've just been blessed, I think, that um, the work ethic. I've always, um, I, I tell my kids, never stop looking for work once you find a job. So when I saw that something needed fixed, you know, I, did, I never thought it was somebody else's job. It doesn't matter even today. If the dishwasher needs unloaded on Monday morning, I'll unload the dishwasher. It's just, it's just how I'm wired.
1: And so tell us a little bit about how you got brought into the, your current company. What, what steps led you to the, the company that, and then we'll get into Charleston, but, um, so, um, how did that unfold?
3: Eric was bringing up the NAI piece, which, um, you know, you've talked about your seven years doing this and, and, um, that to me was my master's. I I spent 125 days a year on the road for 14 years. I got to see the best and worst our industry had to offer. But raising children and my wife worked uh, outside the house. You know, it's 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 a grind to to be on the road uh, that long, and so collier's opportunity um just again i i happen to know some folks i i reached out and was was having some dialogue and and again just got real lucky that the timing was perfect in columbus to do something for the state of ohio uh back in and we started the conversation in mid 2010 and then i started with him in in uh in columbus uh really taking care of the state in 2011 i opened the cleveland office for colliers it it uh, we built that from scratch um and um you know again a lot of a lot of hard work on that front <laughs>
2: Well, we're not going to hold the, the Ohio State thing against you. We'll let you come back next week and tell the rest of the story. Um, and so um, we appreciate certainly, uh, Jim, you sharing with us today. Again, Mr. Jim Garrett, who is the market president of Colliers Charleston. And we'll look forward to uh, having you back next week again, where we can hear the rest of your story and kind of where you guys are today and what you see for the future of real estate in the Charleston and South Carolina markets.
3: Well, I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much for having me.
2: And again, you've been listening to Beyond the Business, presented by the College of Charleston School of Business and Coastal Wealth Management here on 94.3 WSC, or check us out again via our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, Again, my name is Eric Cox for Leslie Haywood. Lowcountry, have a blessed
0: week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business. The College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. Tune in next Saturday morning at 9 for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood, and heard exclusively on News Radio 943 WSC. The College of Charleston School of Business is recognized among the top 30 colleges for studying business abroad by the Business Research Guide. With nine undergraduate majors, ten minors, and six concentration areas, an honors program in business, and master's programs in business and accountancy, the College of Charleston School of Business has more than 3,000 students enrolled. Their students are ready to work, and they're ready to make an impact. For more info, visit sb.cfc.edu.